I'm Gavin Scott, your host. Welcome to the Stay Outstanding podcast, the show that shares wisdom and gifts knowledge, motivates you to be your authentic self, influences you to fulfill your true potential, encourages you to take action, and inspires you to step into your greatness. Welcome to today's show, everybody. My guest today is Brendan, the founder of Master Talk. He coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators in their industry. He also has a popular YouTube channel called Master Talk with the goal of providing free access to communication tools for everyone in the world. Great to have you here today, Brendan. Let's jump straight in. You assist executives and all sorts of people with their communication. It's a big subject. Where do you want to start? Yeah, for sure, Gavin. Well, first of all, it's great to be on. I think the best way to start is probably how I, how I got started with Master Talk. That's probably a good leeway. So what happened was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing rugby or footy or some other sport, I was doing presentations competitively instead. That's why I learned how to speak. But what happened was because we didn't have a communication coach, the people who are younger than me didn't really have any training. And I wasn't a coach either back then. I was kind of just helping them out so they could do better in presentations. And then a few years later, I, I had the idea for the YouTube channel because everything I was sharing with those students wasn't available for free on the internet. So I started posting videos in my basement. And then a few years later, it turned into a coaching practice and what it is today. Amazing. And um, I know you've got like some crazy numbers uh, behind you. You've had over, I think you've got 30 active clients and well over 100 clients that you've trained in the past. So clearly what you do works. Um, in terms of what works, what are the simple five steps to good communication? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the way that I think about this, Gavin, is it's momentum, right? Over time. That's how we build a skill in communication. The reason momentum is so important is because communication as a skill is very vague. What does being a great communicator even mean? We don't really know. Does it mean you say less filler words? Does it mean you smile more? So because that definition is vague, we need something very small and specific to your point that we can master over time so that we can quickly see progress versus let's say something like losing weight. It's very easy for you to measure that progress every single day because you just look at the scale every day, but that scale doesn't exist in communication. So how do we manufacture one? for the purpose of the conversation. So I'd say the easiest thing that people can master is an exercise I call the random word exercise. So all you have to do is pick a random word, like phone, screen, headphone, tissue box, and you create presentations out of thin air. This only takes one minute to do. And if you do this five times a day for a year or a month, you'll have done it hundreds, if not thousands of times. And that is an easy trick to get started through communication that puts you out of your comfort zone because doing that exercise is harder than the real world and will build your resilience up as a speaker in the shortest possible time. We're going to ask you to demonstrate. If you wouldn't mind picking a word out from behind me, you'll have- Oh, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you pick, Gavin, go ahead. Well, I can't see it because it's behind me, so. Oh, uh, let's go with memory. Sure. All right. So now, <laughs> so it's funny. Usually the other person picks the word, but sure, I'm happy to. So now Gavin just gave me the word memory. I guess I gave myself the word memory. And, and now I have to give a presentation out of thin air. So here I go. Are you going to remember this podcast? Everything that we share, every idea, every skill, every little bit of knowledge, will you remember? Because if you don't use your memory to remember what we share in today's show, how will you be able to implement it? Memory is so important. It allows us to remember not just the knowledge that we hear in a podcast, not just the reads, the books that we tend to read, the pages of them, but also the memories that really matter. The smile of a child the walk in a park, the vacation that we take as a family, 
don't forget those memories too. And if you learn to cherish the ones that count, whether you're having a bad day, somebody cut you off in the traffic, or somebody ordered the food that you wanted for lunch that was sold out right before you got to the line, you'll use those memories to remember how life and how beautiful life truly is. That's just an example of the random word exercise. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. That was so passionately delivered. You've uh, obviously practiced this many, many times. Right. And, and the point that I want to drive since you brought it up is, yes, the skill is not an accident. I've done the random word exercise 3,000 times in my lifetime. And I'm not exaggerating that number. It's probably been more. So I just say 3,000 to make it conservative. But that's the point, everyone, is always ask yourself. It's not about writing things down because the best way to speak is to speak. So if you want to get better, challenge yourself. Do it five times a day. Most people in the world aren't willing to do it 100 times. And it'll only take you two hours life to do it 100 times. So if you take that action step, you'll be much better than, than most people at communication. Um, I've got an idea. Uh, why don't you pick a word for me? Let's just prove the point. <laughs> I'm going to throw myself lamb to the slaughter. Wow. Usually most people don't do that. Let's, I'll give you story. Go for it. All right. 60 seconds on story. Here we go. What's your story? Where have you come from? Where are you now? And where are you going? You see, our story doesn't have to define us, but we have every day the chance to create our story. And in doing so, we're given such a beautiful gift because the world is ever changing and we are ebbing and flowing with it. The question is, what story do you want to write? What story do you want to read? What story are you keen to imagine? Where does your creative juices begin to flow in this story? Does your heart start to pump as you begin to feel the sensations of the story unraveling in front of you? Like a red carpet for the actors who go to the show for the Golden Globes. You see, this is your story and it's your time to create it. So what is your story? Where are you gonna go with it? And it's just in front of you right now. All you have to do is embrace it and then go and create it. Wow, you're exceptional, 60 seconds, but there you go. I just thought- <laughs> That was excellent. I just thought I would, you know, make sure that uh, we, we teach what we preach. <laughs> Love it. So uh, you liked that. That was good. All right, good. I thought I was going to unimpress for a second. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll actually give you an award, Gavin. Out of every podcast host that, that has dared to take on the challenge for themselves, you actually got the first prize. That was actually the best one. So congrats. Boom. All right. I love that. That was really fun. Thank you for uh, embellishing my creative and speaking desires. Of course. <laughs> so, all right, we've got one tip. Do micro one word uh, stories for 60 seconds. Second tip. Right. So, so I, I love the way that you're implementing. So I might as well give the, the advanced feedback here, and then we'll jump into the second tip. There's three types of people who are listening to this podcast right now. Okay. The first type of person is listening to it passively. So they're kind of listening to the podcast and they just go, okay, I'm done. And they don't remember any of the exercises. The second type of person is a really good note taker. So like, oh, this is a great exercise. Let me write this down. Oh, I, now I understand why it's important. This is so cool. Gavin's so cool. Let me write this down. And then after the podcast is over, they don't implement. And then there's person number three. It's a very small percentage of the people listening to the show, probably less than 1%, 2% maybe, who are not just writing the things down, but are saying, what are my action steps here? How am I going to implement this? So ask yourself as you're listening to these other tips, and we got a bunch of them, are you person one, person two, or person three? And I hope you're person three. So let's jump into tip number two. So tip number two is practice your presentations like a jigsaw puzzle. 
Okay, practice your presentation like a jigsaw puzzle. So what does that mean? I'm sure all of us know what a jigsaw puzzle is, like those, those boxes you could buy at like a toy store. There's like thousands of little pieces in it or hundreds in my case. I'm not very good at puzzles. Take it out of the box, put the pieces together. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is when we work on a puzzle, which pieces do we start with first? And most people tend to answer the edges. And the reason the edges are easy to find or easy to build is because when we open the box, we can quickly pull out those little corner pieces, make a puzzle, and then work our way into the middle. But when we think about communication, Gavin, most of us tend to do the opposite. We shove a bunch of content. We start with the middle first. We get to the presentation. We ramble throughout the whole thing. And the ending sounds something like this. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, uh, thanks. Not the right way of approaching, in my opinion. So instead, when you practice presentations, instead of just practicing them 30 minutes at a time over and over again, which doesn't lead to quick results, practice like a puzzle. Start with the edges first. That means practice the introduction, just the intro, nothing else, 60 times, 40 times, 50 times until it's perfect. It'll only take you an hour because your intro is short. Do the same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Same thing with the close. 30 times, 40 times, 50 times. Make sure it's perfect. And then tackle the middle. And if you practice it this way, you'll quickly build momentum in your speech. And you'll also be able to hook in your audience a lot more efficiently and effectively when you present. <clears throat> All right, tip three. Tip number three. So tip number three is called question drills. So question drills is the following context. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody asks you a question and you don't really know the answer? This has happened to me countless times, especially when I started guesting on podcasts a few years ago. They would ask me a question. I was like, I didn't really think of this. It's a good question. I need to spend some time reflecting on it. So, and this is also true if you're currently working, let's say you're an employee somewhere, somebody's asked you questions on your sales presentation, what you're doing at work, et cetera. So we'll always get bombarded with questions. So how do we fix this? The way that we fix this is by answering a, an exercise called the question drill. So all you have to do is in your next presentation that you have coming up, that's really important to you. So let's say if I was coaching you, Gavin, on this, and you're a guest on somebody else's podcast, what I would make you do is I would make you answer 50 questions that is related to your subject matter expertise. I actually do it for 500 questions, but I'll, let's do it 50 or like 10. So what happens is I quickly bombard you with a bunch of questions. Hey, uh, Gavin, what does stay outstanding mean to you? Hey, Gavin, uh, why did you call your podcast this title? Hey, Gavin, why do you have that brain in the back of your... So I'm, I'm just constantly bombarding you with questions. And then you're just like, oh, oh. Oh, okay. And then you start answering them. But after a, a few hours of doing this, you'll become what I call bulletproof in the sense of there's going to be a very small percentage of questions that you won't know the answer to anymore. So when I started Master Talk, what happened, because as you can tell, I'm not the oldest cat in, that you've interviewed on your show. What I did to, to circumvent the fact that I didn't have that much experience when I started coaching CEOs is I had my friends sit down with me for four hours and ask me 600 questions about communication until I didn't answer for anything and everything related to my topic. But the easy way of doing this, Gavin, is simply just saying, next presentation, what are 10 questions that people will ask me and how can I answer those questions better? So that's the simple version of doing this, but it'll really help. Love that. Um, yeah, no, we are just... Um creating a, a document and we've gone to a certain type of profile of people to ask them the questions that they would ask us so that we can actually populate it into the document. So very, very valid. Um, tip four. Sure. So just let me, before I get to tip four, I always like to set the context. Literally 99% of people won't do all three tips. So if you implement just those three things, you're ahead of 99% of people. Because most speakers generally get the first one right, sometimes the second, like they might do the random word exercise a few times and then stop. They might practice their presentation like a jigsaw. No one does question drills. So if you do all three of those, you're already ahead of most people. So if I had to give a fourth tip, I would say beyond those three things, what I'd recommend is to focus on one single presentation. And you can't always do this, 
but you want to find one presentation that's consistent in your life that you can give over and over again because that's what actually builds momentum. I'll give you an example. Let's say you want to learn a new sport, footy, cricket, basketball, pick anything. The reason you can get better really quickly if you practice three hours a day for a month or a few months is because the same movements over and over again, they don't switch the ball on you. You, you know, let's say you're playing basketball one day, they're not going to wake up and say, okay, Brent, I need you to play with the smaller ball. Now you're like, Oh, wait, what, what just happened? Right? So it's always the same movement, but with presentations, Gavin, the problem is every time in the real world, we're always switching presentations. So we don't get better exponentially. We get better incrementally. So let's say you're in school, history, math, sciences, gym class. You have presentation in gym too, where I was from anyways. So you're always switching presentations. You're not getting better. Whereas when you get to the workplace, same thing. Your deliverable is always changing. What you have to do is always changing. So you want to find one topic that you can teach other people that you're just really passionate about. It could be about cooking. It could be running a marathon. And put your focal point on mastering that one single topic and applying puzzle to that. And that would be my fourth tip is you'll get better a lot faster by doing that. That's what the best speakers on the planet do as well, like Tony Robbins or Gary Vaynerchuk. It came up in an earlier discussion, like just how important practice is. You, you used the concept of a NBA basketball player or an NFL football player, you know, practicing. Well, they do more hours in practice than they do in actual competitive games, right? So I think it's it's fair enough to say that if you practice, you'll get better. It's the same as going to the gym, right? If you wanted to put on some bulk, you'll only put on that bulk if you practice, you know, doing the weights. So extremely valid point uh, or tip, I should say. And tip five Absolutely. And, and the other piece I wanted to add for tip four as well, Gavin, is don't just practice, practice the same movements, right? So the reason people at the gym, the people who are in the NBA, the NFL, all the great examples that you gave, the reason they're getting better is because they're doing the same routine over and over. Again. They might switch a couple of body parts, right? They might do hand days, whatever. But the, the key is, is because they're practicing the same movement. So if you're just switching presentations every day to practice, it's not going to work, in my opinion. You want to practice the same presentation over and over again, and that's how you can get there really, really fast as a communicator. I would say tip number five is a question. Can this helps us get grounded? This helps us focus on why we want to master communication. And, what, and the reason this question is so important is because communication, the biggest problem is accountability. If you can't measure progress in a skill and you don't have a coach, let's say, and you want to master this communication thing, Right. You need a reason. You need a strong, compelling reason. Let me give a, an example. Let's say me and you are running a marathon and I'm lazy, which I typically am, by the way, especially when it comes to exercise. Well, if you're knocking on my door at 5 a.m., you're saying, hey, Brendan, we're going for a run. Brendan's going for a run because Gavin's there. He wants me to run with him. But the reason I'm motivated isn't just because of Gavin. It's also because I can clearly see the result. I can see myself finishing that marathon, you'll probably have the gold medal. I'll probably have some participa participation medal, but I'll finish the race. But in communication, that race isn't as clear because communication itself is a very vague topic. So that's why answering this question is really important. And the question is this, how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Really think about that question. How would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Most of the time, Gavin, when we think about communication, the first reflex is not potential. It's not growing. It's not getting better. It's rather stress, fear, anxiety. This sucks. This is a chore. So for us to remove that languaging, we need to focus on the opportunity, which is, okay, well, if I became a better speaker, I could be like, Gavin, I could start a podcast. Or if you became a better speaker, you're already a great communicator. But even better, you could reach more lives. You can impact more people. So find that internal reason for you. And that motivation will help you implement the four other tips that we talked about in today's show. Amazing. Um, I've got friends uh, that wobble when they make presentations in their careers, let's say, for, for work. Um, one friend, he'll probably have to sit down halfway through his presentation and continue on because he couldn't 
can you stand it? I've got another friend that tends to get a lot of anxiety before the actual, say, conference that they're attending to, to speak at. Um, how do you kind of remove fear from somebody? Because fear is the principal trigger, um, I guess, for anxiety. Right. Great question, Gavin. So here's my personal take on it. You know, there, I don't think it's possible to remove the fear. I'll give you the example with me. Okay, I'm the communication expert, supposedly so, right, on the show. And if, evil, if Elon Musk called me right now and said, hey, Brenna, I need you to coach me tomorrow, I would shit my pants, 100%. I would totally be scared. I'd be 100% fearful. There's always a level where all of us are scared, including me. So what does that mean? That means trying to get rid of the fear of communication is a bad expectation to have because you'll be haunted by it the rest of your life. I would say instead, let me propose another analogy that I think is more helpful, which is communication is like a boxing match. Okay, so let's say one side of the ring is your fear, the stress, the anxiety, right? The wobbling, we're sitting down at the halfway of the presentation, the fear. And the other side of the ring is the message. Why are we doing this? Why does this matter? Why is this important? Why should we share this message? So once again, the goal is not to remove the fear. The goal is to make sure that when your message and your fear meet in the middle of that boxing ring, that your message wins the match. That's the key. Your message needs to get the knockout punch. It's not about removing the fear. It's about making sure that your message is so important to you that the fear loses in the end. So same thing with me. I started Master Talk when I was 22 years old, Gavin. And the reason I say that, because a lot of people's first reflex is, oh, wow, that must be so impressive. Yeah, it wasn't. Okay, I was scared shitless coaching people who were double, triple my age. And I had a lot of insecurities because I had a bachelor's in accounting. My second language is French. Like I kind of spoke French my whole life. So I wasn't that great at presentations to begin with. I was going to be the person to share communication tips with the world. I didn't think so. So why did I press record? Why did I still do it? Not because I was fearless, but because it's not true, but rather because of the 15-year-old girl who couldn't afford me. The 13-year-old boy in a third world country who doesn't have access to free communication tools. That was the reason why I pressed record. I said, wow, those people can only relate to me. They're not going to relate to the 65-year-old guy who's presenting youtube content they, they won't relate to that person they I, it's either i make the videos or nobody else does and that's why i pressed record so once again the goal is not to remove the fear the go the fear the goal is to go back internally and say why does my message win every boxing match that i enter with my fear the words let me just translate that a little clarity of purpose if you've got no clarity, you're not going to win the match, right? It's a bit like having a strategy. So what's your what's what's your why? Is basically just what you said. Yeah, it's so so valid. Um, just like I know why I'm here sitting with you right now and having this chat, so that people out there who do struggle with communication can become better at it. Um, <clears throat> you uh, you said you started when you were 22 years old and you didn't. Well, you did have some fear, but you did it anyway. What what made you do it anyway? I mean, you said the the young kids that didn't have the possibilities. So how did you hope that by doing Master Talk, you'd be able to provide possibilities for these young kids? Yeah, man. And and the answer is is not communication related, I would say. I think it's more about life now in the sense that, you know, I feel what what helped me in life is always looking at it in reverse, right? I call this reverse engineering your life. What do you actually want to do? And for me, I had achieved most of what I wanted to do by the, by the time I was 20, 21, which was essentially retiring my mother because I, I got the six-figure corporate job that I wanted and I, and I was doing well and I didn't really have much else to aspire for. 
So what happened is instead of, you know, making the mistakes I should have made in my 20s, although I've made quite a few, but maybe not the big ones that most of us do, I, I asked myself deeper questions. And it goes back to asking yourself one hard question about life every single day. That's what I recommend people do. Every single day, you should wake up and just ask yourself, what are you pretending not to know? And then the next day, you should ask yourself, if I had to share one truth about the world that most people disagree with, what would I share and why? So ask yourself that hard questions. Like Tony Robbins says it best. I'll just quote him. He says, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. And what I would add to that is the questions you dare to ask yourself, because most people don't. They're not willing to. So I just asked myself hundreds of questions, Gavin. And when I did that exercise with myself and I wrote my own funeral speech, ask myself, okay, what do I want this to be, look like after I'm dead in 50, 60, 70 years? I realized that Master Talk was my legacy because nobody else was sharing what I was sharing. So when I understood the urgency of that, after I watched all these other videos, asked all these questions, I brought that urgency within myself. And I said, I don't have a lot of time left on, in life. So might as well execute before my time's up. I mean, it's a big one, this time game. I think uh, so many people wake up and instantly consider themselves under pressure to live out the day. Now, I use that phrase purposely because living out the day suggests that they're not doing it with meaning. They're not doing it with passion. They're not doing it with purpose, which a lot of uh, people in corporations and cities and stuff like that really are. And I've, I've referred to this before. I call it um, subconscious reaction versus conscious action. And the difference will really allow you to communicate authentically with someone else, if we're talking specifically about communicating. Um, so I think time, like I wake up, I do some breathing exercises, I do some meditation, just taking that time at the beginning of your day allows you to then go and live it in a much more meaningful manner because you've taken the time to ask yourself those questions you were just talking about because inevitably if we sit quietly the ego will throw up some questions even i mean you know i'm not sure even buddha can just focus on the third eye and just you know see nothing i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure there's some questions that pop up uh, how much longer do I have to stare at my third eye for before everyone's happy? <laughs> so questions are a big one, man. Um, karaoke. What if somebody wanted to get better at karaoke, but, you know, had a fear of standing up? <laughs> that's such a random question yeah i mean for, for those who don't know which probably everyone uh, one fun fact about me is i can speak three languages in karaoke and eight so so for me karaoke has been helpful because it helps my well it's just fun to begin with but the other piece is that it really helps your articulation your pronunciation so if you can karaoke languages you don't understand it helps you kind of communicate ideas better but what i will say is uh, I wouldn't recommend karaoke for beginners. Uh, definitely, you know, do the five exercises that we talked about earlier. And karaoke is more for people who really want to keep pushing, who really want to keep refining their game. And karaoke is just one version of that, where if you can sing really badly and still be okay with yourself, which is me, by the way, I'm not a great singer. I'm terrible at it, especially in Chinese. I'm not, I'm not too amazing yet. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing half the stuff. It gives you a confidence that cannot be bought, but only earned. So I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. I'm a big on this. Like I'm really big on the idea that competence leads to confidence. So it's not about me jumping up and down and faking it till I make it. I think it's more about saying, because we've done the random word exercise 300 times, 200 times and nobody else in our organization has done that we can feel that internally same thing with the puzzle analogy okay i applied puzzle no one else is applying puzzle it's another win it's another check 
and 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 for me it's a lot it's it's long list it's that and then it's karaoke in eight languages then i i love rapping also so when you have all of this you can come into a, a scenario and say like yeah no it's not just that i'm pretending to be confident it's like no i've earned it i've earned the the right to be confident i've i've earned it for myself and that's what i want for everyone because it's not hard right that's that's what i really want to emphasize for people your next level is not as far as you think it is like most we all think for me too i, I get caught in this too we, we think it'll take years but the truth is doing the random word exercise simple example okay a hundred times takes a minute to do it each time it's a hundred minutes it's an hour and 40 not out of your week not out of your year but out of your life so if you're just willing to spend 10 minutes a day you'll you'll have done it a hundred times in like two weeks and that's that's really the key it's baby steps that build incrementally over time which then leads to an exponential increase in whatever skill you're working on baby steps i love that man i really do have you ever seen the movie baby steps with bill murray no i'm really bad with movies but feel free to educate me oh man i'm just gonna tell you to watch it for anyone listening if you haven't seen it watch it i promise you if you have half a sense of humor you will fall off your chair laughing it is honestly it's one of the funniest comedies ever produced and directed and created i reckon it's that good um <clears throat> i did have my own story about karaoke but we'll, we'll, we'll move on from that um <laughs> i've i've written here never say wow just ask how that's one of your uh, your mottos, is it not? Yeah, you got it, Ben. So never never say wow, always ask how is, is definitely a motto that I follow. So what does that mean? First of all, I just got lucky in my basement. I, I found out that wow and how rhymed. And I was like, oh, this sounds really nice. I should probably use this. <laughs> and then it later became a thing. So I'll give you an example. A lot of people in life, Gavin, the challenge that I've seen is that whenever they look at people they admire, they tend to just say wow. So think about the person right now that you admire the most, some celebrity, ideally, it helps. It could be your, your mom as well, which is for me. But think about like the celebrity type person that makes you really nervous if you met them, like Barack Obama, right? Like, like Kobe Bryant, somebody like that. And then really think about how do you react if you had met that person? Most people would get really nervous. They would get clenched. They would like, oh, my God, it's this person they, they just say that person's amazing whereas a very small percentage of people and those are the people who ultimately become very successful in life they look at the same person they admire from a different angle they still admire their work they're still appreciative about their accomplishments but they ask a different question which is how did that person get there what is actually the process they look at the people that they admire like human beings because that's exactly who they are they're just human beings they're great human beings, they're exceptional human beings, but they are human beings just like us. So I'll give you an easy example of a wow versus how. So in a workshop, when, I, when I'm speaking, let's say to people in front of me, I always ask the question, who knows Kobe Bryant? Who knows what he is, like what he's done, what he's accomplished in life? Everyone puts their hands up. Almost everyone who knows what basketball is puts their hands up. And then I go, keep your hand up if you know what Kobe Bryant's kill list is. And all of their hands go down except maybe like one. I think it's happened once or twice where I've seen somebody keep their hand up. And then I go, that is the difference in wow and how. Most people stop at wow. They don't explore the how. So I'll just explain Kobe Bryant's kill list because I'm sure some of you are, are, might be interested in that. So the story behind this, Gavin, is when, when Kobe Bryant was in his 10s, and I'm, I'm very intentional about what I'm saying here, not his 20s, not his, his 10s. So when he was like 12, 13 years old, he made a decision that he wanted to become the best basketball player that ever lived. Okay. Pretty interesting thing for a 12 year old to do, right? It's just another day at the park. So what he did, and he calls this, this, I didn't, I'm not misquoting him. He calls it his kill list. He made a list of the top 50 basketball players in the state who were in his age group in order. And he was number 50 on the list. So what he did is every time he went to a high school game, he would watch slowly what all of the other kids were doing when they were 12, 13, and looking at what are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? And how can I 
get better than them. Okay, that person's really good at dribbling, but they're really bad at threes. And I'm really bad at threes. So let me work on my threes so that when we're all 15, I'm better than him at threes. And he just kept refining his game every time he saw one of those 49 people. So by the time he was 15 or 16, he was number one on that list. And then he got drafted into the NBA out of high school at 17, 18. So that totally wasn't an accident. That was intentional from the moment he wrote that kill list. But that the point of this, Gavin, is... Most of us don't spend enough time asking ourselves, how can I be that person? And my encouragement is not that you should be that person because most people shouldn't, but rather ask yourself, uh, if I want to be that person, I should first analyze what does it take to be that person and then make a decision for myself to pursue it or not. Interesting. I'm just going to play devil's advocate three seconds. Let's take any number of those people or profiles or personas or characters. And I believe that anybody can achieve anything in life if they really want to. How bad do you want it, right? So the thing that will come up is a lot of those guys have a network of connections. It's almost less about what they're doing. It's more about the connection. So how do you bring the communication in parity with the network or communication even higher than the network or contacts so that you can get to that position. Absolutely. Like I definitely think networking is one factor and it's an important one, but I definitely don't think it's the whole picture, but it's an important one that we need to talk about. So here, here's the way that I would see this, Gavin, is to keep things simple, communication is a multiplier effect. So what does that mean? It's kind of like a domino. So when you the first domino falls, all of the other dominoes start falling as well. So as you become an exceptional presenter, which was the main focal point of our conversation, you automatically become better at conversations. What does that mean? That means that if I can smile better, if my vocal tones are better, my eye contact is more poignant, I immediately start adapting that communication style to relationship building. So that's one piece. So if you wanna become a better conversationalist, the easiest way to do that, frankly, besides just talking to people, is just getting better at presentations because it'll teach you the fundamentals that you can reapply into conversations every day that you have with people. That's one piece. The other piece is how do you go about building relationships in general? So the way that I think about this is an analogy. So let's say you meet somebody new every few days, okay, which most people don't, by the way, okay? Well, somebody every few days, but let's throw this out. So every three or four days, you meet somebody new, and in a year, give or take, you'll meet 100 people. Okay, pretty simple analogy. Meet 100 people a year. And let's say you live 50 more years than the age you're at currently. So let's say for the purposes of this example, let's say you're 30 years old right now. And you live 50 more years. So you live until 80, but you're 30 right now. So the question we need to ask yourself, not to make this a math exam or anything, is how many people will you actually get to shake hands with? So all you have to do is you take 100, every year and you multiply it by 50 years, which, and the answer is 5,000. So the question that you need to always ask yourself, because I always like this reframe of relationship building is not how do I get everyone to like me, but rather who do I want those 5,000 people to be? Out of the billions of people that I get to interact with in, in life, I only get to shake 5,000 of their hands. So which hands am I shaking? So when you start asking yourself that question, your criteria changes really quickly from how do I get people to like me to do I even like this person? Do I even want to talk to this person? Does this person have the same values as me? Is this person getting me to the goals I want? And it'll help you focus more intentionally towards relationship building. And generally how that works out practically for people, Gavin, is you make, I call this the value list. I essentially make the list of top, my top 10 relationships and in the following order. And the order is not defined by their celebrity status. It's not defined by the money in their bank account. It's simply defined by how much they pour into me and my goals. That's it. And then I make a list of those 10 people and then I serve them. That's it. Because if I serve those 10 people, they'll introduce me to the other 10 A players in their network and I'll get to my 5,000. That's the way you want to think about relationship building in general. There's going to be a lot of um, <clears throat> fears that come up. So the very first one that came into my mind was 
how do I serve them? <laughs> it's like, ooh, you know, like these people I really want to get build a relationship with or get close to, and you're like, how? Um, but I guess we don't need to kind of go over that because ultimately people have their passion and their purpose, their why, their uh, their boxing ring strategology. Strategology? I don't even know whether that's a word or not. I don't even know either. <laughs> I'm not a Scrabble player. I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that, that's really interesting. So I've got I've got some mic stuff going on here that's causing me some some issues. Um, <laughs> that's why I keep playing with it. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, um, wow, the world of communication. So, all right, let's. I, I love doing this, and people think like it. So let's let's try. Let's see what happens. As you know, I want to create an impact. So. In doing so, I have to get my message out there. I have to serve people so that it has an impact in their lives so that I create that impact. How do you go and create that impact? If you know your message, if you know your passion, if you know your purpose. I mean, you know, the world has kind of changed in the last couple of years as well. People might feel a bit stuck for ideas, how to how to get their voice out there and heard. Absolutely. Great question, Gavin. And it also ties into what we talked about before. So all of this will tie in. So let me explain what I mean here. So going back to the value list, right? The top 10 people, the top 10 relationship, just to be super clear so people get this, these 10 people you already know. So these are not people that you want to know. These are people you already know. Because the biggest mistake that people make with the relationship building is that they don't double down on the people they already have. And that's the biggest mistake. We're always jumping and can you like jumping like a kangaroo to the next event, the next uh, venue without intentionally saying, who are the top people that I have right now? And what have I done for them lately? And the way you approach this is you don't need to go the extra mile for anybody. Most people don't even go the extra mile. People don't even go to go the extra meter. So I call this going the extra meter. What is the little thing that you can do? Most of the ways that I add value for people, I don't, I don't move mountains for them. I just go, hey, Gavin, I saw this episode in a podcast that really explained how to be a really world-class interviewer. I thought you'd be interested in that because you're already great. You probably want to become world-class. So it's just keeping their goals top of mind. That's it. And then once you're adding the value, like a sports team, you'll be able to draft better and better players as you add more and more value back to the world. And speaking of the world, going to your question, how do you make an impact? How do you use relationships, your message, your purpose? And I'll keep this really simple because that's how I did it, is a great quote that I think summarized it by a guy named Ali Godet. And what he said was, if you help one person, the world will give you permission to help everyone else. Okay, so if you help one person, the world will give you permission to help everyone else. So what does that mean? That means start with one person. You think MasterTalk started with 20,000 people? No, of course not. It started with one person. I just had this idea about coaching people. I started when I was 19. I was really good. I was good at speaking, terrible at coaching it. And then somebody just came up to me and said, hey, man, uh, I got a presentation next month. I don't know what to do. And I was like, I don't know either, but I'm a great speaker. So I guess I'll help you. And then we just sat down. I just coached that person and I made a bunch of mistakes and I sucked and I was terrible, but I liked it. It was fun. And they kind of got great results. I said, let's do it again. This is fun. And, and then I did it the second time, the third time, fifth time. And then before I knew it, I'd helped a hundred people one at a time. This, this is the key. Not like a hundred people on a stage where I'm like with a suit and I'm speaking to everyone. No, no, like literally a hundred people one at a time. And then, then after I did that, I was like, huh, I probably don't have time to talk to 7 billion people. I should probably make videos. So I sat down on my mother's couch. I took out a phone and then I started making videos. And how many people saw it? <gasps> three people. That's it. Like three, four people watched my shit every week. And they were like, oh, this is terrible. Like really terrible, but the content is really good. You should keep making it. And I was like, you're not watching my videos. And then she said, yeah, these are the tips that you shared. And I was like, oh, I have an audience of like three people, but people are watching. So then I made a video that the week after, and then it kept, I can, I kept doing it for three years. I haven't missed a week. And, and now it's just more than three people. So I think a lot of us have it misconstrued about how to create impact in the world gap. And we have it kind of, we got, we got our heads screwed on the wrong direction. 
in the sense that we think that it's a million people all at the same time. And I'm guilty of this. Obviously, it's easy for me to say now, oh, yeah, like now it's trying to impact millions of lives. But we don't we all don't start there. We start the one person that we can help. And then one leads to two, two leads to four. And then if the number starts going down, it's because you're not helping people. <laughs> and then, if it, But if the number keeps going up, they'll keep talking about you and what you're doing. And then the last piece around that, and I know you assumed it in the question, but it's worth reemphasizing, is making sure you're focusing on one key problem you want to solve for people. If you really want to be world-class, you really want to serve the world, you need to focus on one thing. Because if you're half-assed on seven different things, you're not actually helping people because you're not trying to become an expert in that thing. So obviously, there's two kind of realms. The first realm is you're not sure what you want to do. In that case, by all means, if you have 25 passions, I would encourage you to test all 25. But then the other realm is once you figure it out and you're intentional about it, you figure out what that thing is, then I would encourage you to start narrowing down and really focus on that one thing. Like all I do with my time, so people know this as well, Gavin, I call this the three C's of how I manage my time. I only do these three things, coaching, conversations, and content creation. That's it. So if I'm not coaching people, I'm in conversations. If I'm not in conversations with people, I'm creating content. And outside of that is just fun. Everything else is a non-essential activity. And that's the key that you want to think about is what are you world-class on and how can you spend 90% of your time doing that so you can actually help people. Beautiful, man. I was, uh, it sounds like you've read it too, but I've just finished reading the book Essentialism. Craig, yeah. Yeah, and um, when you said, you know, just do the essential things, that's what essentialism is all about, right? Being more productive while doing less effectively. Um, awesome. I think like one of the biggest issues for most speakers is that they're more focused on the audience than they are on themselves. How do you kind of flip that? To focus more on ourselves versus the audience? Is that yeah, what because the, what happens is, is when they start looking at the audience, they'll see people looking at them and then the questions will come into the head. Why are they looking at me like that? What are they thinking? And, you know, that can create all sorts of panic, perhaps, or anxiety or stress. Whereas if they talk um, about themselves or think about themselves, they'll think that they've had the experience. They've got the credibility. They've got the acumen. You know, they don't need to ask those questions of themselves. So by looking at themselves as opposed to the audience, I think they can deliver much better um i'm not sure what my question was i think i might have just answered it on my own <laughs> and, and your answer makes sense to me I, I think the way i would think about it the only a layer i would add but but i completely agree with what you said is like i don't overthink it too much and especially if you're giving the same presentation over and over again so i'll be honest with me i sucked at the beginning when i was keynoting terrible but the only reason i got better is because i just did the same keynote 300 times that's it. Like at some point, by the way, I agree for the first 30 times of that same presentation, you will be stressed. You'll be like, oh, I have to say this. And then I wanted to also talk about this and that. And oh my God. And same thing with podcasts, by the way, especially my first hundred. Oh my God. Like I really felt I could have done better. Oh, I didn't answer this. And oh, when, when Gavin asked me this question, I should have answered this way. Crap. But when you get to 600, when you get to like, people aren't asking what my favorite fruit is anymore, Gavin. Like, or never, nobody has ever. It's always the same questions over and over again. So now that you've stepped to the plate more and more, you're able to execute it. So same thing with presentations. Once you've done the same keynote, you know, more than once, what happens is you worry a lot less about the content. You worry a lot less about the audience and you care more about how you deliver it. But the other piece of advice that I would give as well is have dinner with the people you want to serve. I think there's a big mistake a lot of speakers make is that they give the presentation and they just sit in a box and like, I suck, I suck. I'm not really good versus like going, okay, I'm done speaking. Uh, let me just pick three people in this audience and just go have dinner with them and have, like literally chill with them, like have fun with them ask some questions. That's what I did. My first keynote was in front of two people, Gavin. It wasn't in front of like whatever the number is now. And then, and literally it, we, I present, I would yell at them for 90 minutes. 
it was absolutely horrendous. And then we'd all have dumplings and they would just be like, oh, Brent, I think you should try this instead. This will work better. And, I, and I'm just taking notes. I was like, you're right. I should try that. Right? And they give me ideas. So it's more of a co-creation process. And what this also helps your mindset around is you don't see the audience as the enemy anymore. You don't see them as a, uh, like them holding you hostage. You see them as like people. But if you don't take the extra time to actually eat dumplings with them or whatever food you like, you won't actually, your mind won't actually get shifted into that direction, if that makes sense. To me, it makes complete sense. Yeah, totally. From a mindset perspective. I mean, when people just come to me and ask for some simple advice, I just say, don't even see the faces. Just see more versions of yourself. Pretend that you're talking to yourself. That way, you know, you can't invite those questions. But I much prefer your uh, idea of befriending them, you know. There's no need to get embarrassed or feared in conversation with friends. So that's really good advice. I think before we go ahead and give a lot more value um, to everybody and completely overwhelm them, that we sort of almost end now which I, I don't want to do because i feel like we're having such a good time and we could really give more value but um we've already suggested that uh, they can check you out on uh, master talk on youtube where else could they find you yeah absolutely Gavin. what a great conversation so the, the other way is just attending my free training so if you're someone who's interested in coaching you want to get access to me i do a free zoom call every two to three weeks on communication it's not a webinar i'm coaching people on that call, if you want to register for it, it's rockstarcommunicator.com. I love that, man. I love that. Keep rocking. One last question for you. Good. What does stay outstanding mean to you? What does outstanding mean to me? Stay outstanding. Stay outstanding. Thank you. I would say staying outstanding. The, the one theme that comes up to me is consistency. Consistency. If you want to stay outstanding, it's important for you to stay consistent with whatever it is you're doing. It's easy to be outstanding in the moment. You might win an award. You might get some recognition. You might get a promotion. But it's really hard to stay consistent, to stay that way your whole life. So for me, staying outstanding simply means this. Once you figure out what your legacy is, once you figure out what your contribution is, stay consistent with that contribution throughout your life. And if you do that, you'll stay outstanding, whatever that contribution is. Maybe that contribution is to be a great mother. Maybe that contribution is to start your own business. Maybe start your own podcast. Maybe it's all three. And once you figure out what that contribution is, staying the path is what keeps you outstanding. Uh, I've had so much fun having you on today. Thank you so much for being here, Brennan. Thank you, brother. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed the content and got any value, please do like it, rate it, follow, subscribe, and leave a comment. You'll find us across all the social media channels, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. It's been my privilege to host you today. I'm Gavin Scott. Until next time, stay outstanding. <laughs>